How many fact and details people do we have in the audience today? There's, okay, let's get our hands up high, okay? I need to know who my opposites are. You know, when I'm preparing a sermon, okay, then I'm going to come to you and like help you get those fact and details down. But this is what, you can put them down now. I didn't tell them, see, they're fact and details. I didn't say put the hand down, so they were staying up. I want, I just want us to focus in for one second here. So Rob's been sick, right? Um, I got a last minute call to come and share a word this morning. When you get that, you don't have a lot of time to work out all the details. And as a preacher, you sit on the Lord and you go, okay, I'm completely trust that you've got a plan. I've got some notes here with lots of writing during the worship service because I'm like, if those who are fact and details people here could actually think about the words that they all sung, think about Greg today, John 3.16, for God to love the world, that's in my notes already, and they would line up all the facts and details of what the Lord's been doing to make today happen, they would just... Their knees would be shaking, not because they're up here, but they would bow before the Father because he's so present. And it's unbelievable. It's an honor to be able to be up here and share what he's put on my heart because of all the ways that I've seen him in the last 24 hours. Just go, Vince, I've got this. I've got this. I want to thank you as a church for allowing me, giving me the opportunity to be on staff in this church, to spend my week leading and guiding and planning and seeking the Lord. Lord, where are you leading us as Calvary Church? And then hearing from him, I, I, I feel like I got this beautiful opportunity this week to just see the Holy Spirit lining things up. And my faith just explodes. And I pray that this morning that you're here and that some of those little facts and details you'll be able to sense. And I trust that the Spirit will touch your hearts and lead and guide this morning. I'm just going to pray. God, we submit ourselves to you. Thank you, God, for your worthiness. Thank you that we get to be here. I just think like two years ago we couldn't do this. Help us not to take that for granted. Thank you, Father, for leading and guiding. Thank you, Jesus, that we can have confidence in your faithfulness. I pray, God, that Things that I don't need to say, the passages I don't need to use this morning, the notes that I don't need to use, God, just like, don't help me see them on the paper. Just We just want to hear from you. Thank you, Jesus, for your goodness and your faithfulness. Amen. So just so you know, I didn't have to come up with all of this brand new in the last 24 hours. Um, last weekend, I spoke at a youth conference here in Steinbeck at the Bible College, and so, over the past five months, my heart's been thinking about and working through life as an expedition. So, SBC did this youth event called Expedition Now, and they asked me five months ago to speak at that. And so, the last five months, I've been mulling this over, and last Saturday, I had to cram five months of prayer and seeking the Lord into 30 minutes and just give it to the teens. And so, I actually walked away and I was like, ah, oh, I didn't get it. Like, I had so much more I wanted to say. And then this week, Rob's sick. And hey, Vince, will you go for it? And I just, so now I have to process from going, speaking this to 200 young people to 450, 500 adults. 
But that's all right. And I changed the sermon title for us this morning, and I was struggling with it. Um, for the teens, it was called Life on Expedition, and I just, okay, but I was like, Lord, what, what's for us? And I wrestled back and forth, and then yesterday evening, it was like, Glorious Expedition. Now, details, people, we sang about glory this morning. Hmm. And it was like this peace came glorious expedition. I was actually going to go talk to Agath. I'm like, I'm struggling with this title. Like, can you help me process this? And all of a sudden it was like, glorious expedition. And then I look at what's been said this morning and the songs. It's like, wow, Holy Spirit, you are, you had that planned. I want you to put a lens on this morning of thinking of your life as an expedition and a journey. Your life is an expedition. Cambridge Dictionary says an expedition is an organized journey for a particular purpose. That's what an expedition is. An organized journey for a particular purpose. Psalm 139, you saw me before I was born. Every day of my life was recorded in your book. Every moment was laid out before a single day had passed. Your life on this side of eternity, he knows it all. Every detail of it. The expedition that you're on, so that little telescope there, when we look through a telescope, we see something way further, and everything in between becomes blurry. But you see something beyond. It's the glorious expectation of one day he will return and we will be in heaven. That's the expedition you're on. But everything in between can be pretty blurry and pretty crazy and incredibly hard. But when you're thinking of the glorious anticipation of what's to come, You will have the strength and the power to walk through it because he's going to wipe away every tear. He's going to change things. He's going to bring it back to Genesis chapter 2, the way he created it to be. But in between, brothers and sisters, it can be messy and it can be hard. The Lord has an amazing plan for each of you. We plan an expedition to explore something or somewhere that we have never been things that we dream about about for this anticipated, glorious event, right? You go on an expedition, you climb a mountain so that you can get to the summit. That's why you're climbing. Not because it's fun, not because of the journey is like, oh, well, Greg likes to go run it. I don't know how that's fun, but he likes to do it. And and at the end, though, there's the success of completing the run. We do expeditions to achieve the glorious result of what we're trying to do or going for. We climb mountains. We sail across oceans. Uh, When these things aren't enough, we start to seek out other planets. Greg talked about this. I'm like, don't steal my thunder. And he's going off on Louis Giglio's stuff. You need to watch. If you want to know how big God is, just go watch Louis Giglio's video, How Great Is Our God, this afternoon. And our little earth is going to shrink into a tiny little ball. And your, your world is going to shrink so small. And you're going to go, wow. God, you have created things so big. But we seek these things out. We go to try to find out how big are the stars? How big is all this stuff? We even try to go, well, we have been on the moon and now we're talking about trying to get on Mars. I believe God's put inside of each of us this desire to explore his amazing creation and to seek it out. I also believe, and I feel like lately in the last bunch of years, he's accelerating and he's saying, look, Look at all these big stars. Look how big they are. You can put a thousand golf balls in a, in a bus. And that's just the size of the sun. 
Look at them. Please, people, look at them. I believe he's beckoning you. Why does God give doctors the ability to heal and to work in this created body? Why could doctors cut open Steve's head this week and remove tumors from his brain? Why? He's beckoning us to look at how amazing his creation is. He's pointing us to worship him and to submit and say, Whoa, one day every knee will bow. May that be on this side of eternity that we bow our needs and run after the kingdom because we're so everything between here and heaven is so blurry that we're just ripping after it regardless of the troubles. Let that be on this side. He is he's beckoning us. He's revealing himself over and over and over. I was telling Robert Gregg, I think it was this week, like when I go fishing and I pull a walleye out of the lake, every one of those fish is just like Wow, Lord, like there's so many beautiful colors. Why is one dark green and the other one shimmering blue and behind those scales that you put on them? Wow, he's beckoning us to worship him. That's what you and I were created for, to worship God. That's it. We're created to worship him and he's got good plans for you. He loves you. Before I go any further, you can tell I'm excited about this and I'm convinced personally completely convinced that jesus loves me that he's my savior that one day i'm going to spend eternity in heaven that's i'm convinced of that completely why am i convinced of that if you're newer to faith i remember when i started going to church they'd start talking about all the holidays i knew christmas was like jesus birth they started talking holidays and all these things i'm like "Ah, i don't know this stuff if you're newer to faith I want to just give you a baseline of what the Bible says about us and our condition. Genesis 1 and 2, everything was created by God and for God. Psalm 33, verse 6, By the word of the Lord the heavens were made, their starry hosts by the breath of his mouth. Greg, that's what you're talking about. By the breath of his mouth. He spoke it, and it came to be. I I cannot understand that. At the retreat, I, I threw one of my kids under the bus, and I said, you know, God spoke, and the all this came to be. I speak, and the dishwasher doesn't get emptied. <laughs> God is like, he speaks, and it, it just happens. And it's amazing things that happen. You and I were created by God. When he created all of you in this room, when he created Adam and Eve, he's like, whoa, this is very good. This isn't just good. This is very good. I often ask, well, why? why did you choose us? To be the object of your affection. He could have chosen anything. To pour out his supreme love over. But he chose you and me. To be the object of his affection and his love. Genesis 3. We call it the fall. Adam and Eve. They're told not to eat of the fruit. From a certain tree in the garden. And they're deceived. The enemy comes and deceives them. And this separates God. Because we can't be in the presence. When there's sin in our life with God. Separated. Old Testament The first big chunk of the Bible talks about the need for sacrifice and that in order to come into the presence of God, there were sacrifices that had to be made and blood had to be shed. Get into the New Testament. This man, Jesus, enters the scene. Virgin birth, like Taylor's talking about. Glorious experience. He enters the scene, lives a sinless, perfect life. He becomes the sacrificial lamb for your sins and my sins dies a brutal death on a cross. You know, I was thinking about it this week. I I had the opportunity to go to Israel uh, in 2018. There is 
I think probably nobody that lives in Israel that would argue the fact that Jesus was a man that lived on the earth and he was a, a very good man. Nobody there would argue that. In Steinbeck, Manitoba, most people are like, if you're talking to someone who doesn't know anything about the world, they don't argue that. They would argue and talk to you about whether he was Messiah or not. But Jesus proves that in Scripture by all the things that he was doing. All the miracles. And we're going to point that out a little later, too, in this message, hopefully. This Jesus dies a brutal death on the cross on our behalf so that we can receive eternal life, John 3.16. He's now in heaven and has paid that price, that debt, and he has sent the Holy Spirit to guide and to lead and encourage and empower us on the crazy expedition between here and heaven. He's there to help you. He won't leave you or forsake you when you're going through the crazy battles on this side before eternity. He will strengthen you and uphold you in it. We are called to join the most rewarding and amazing expedition you can ever imagine to point people to the kingdom of heaven. That's what you and I are called to. As followers of Jesus, our job is to point people to his return and to beckon them and to point them to this place that one day he's going to return and we can spend it in eternity in heaven with him. If you have your Bibles, oh, I got the clicker here too. You can turn with uh, me to Isaiah chapter 40. Life can throw us all kind of challenges, and sometimes we'll like ask, God, like, where are you in the blurriness? Where are you? Are you, are you even caring about anything going on in my life? So I don't want to make light of any of that. But you're not alone. This is like forever people have struggled with this. Isaiah 40, chapter 20, or sorry, Isaiah 40, verse 27. Why do you say, O Jacob, and speak, O Israel, my way is hidden from the Lord and my right is disregarded by God? Have you ever felt that? Like, God, do you see? Like, like now let's, let's not... Let's not get so heavenly minded that we're no earthly good. Let's, re, like, let's look at the realities. Life can suck. It can be brutally hard. And there's all kinds of junk going on around you. You're not alone. This is like from the beginning of time, people felt that. Since the fall of men, we've been dealing with, where are you, God? He longs to actually be really close to us, but where are you? Isaiah addresses that here. You're not alone in feeling like maybe God is hiding from you or he just doesn't understand the journey this one hits me a little bit and i'm like okay lord we're in a world right now where like my right is like utmost important it's my right i want to say something here get over it get over it it's not your right I love what Isaiah says in these next verses. And I pray that this inspires and this encourages you. Have you not have you not known? Have you not heard? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of the ends of the earth. 
He does not faint or grow weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint. And to him who has no might, he increases strength. Even youth shall faint and be weary, and young men shall fall exhausted. Here we go. But they that wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up on wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. So I finished speaking this session, and I drove off. We were at the Mennonite Heritage Museum, and I was parking my vehicle, and the kids were getting out of all their vehicles, and now they're going to go on all these expeditions around Mennonite Heritage Museum. That was the plan for the afternoon. All these little challenges. Fun youth event. And right over the lake where usually all the geese are, this big bald eagle. I just finished speaking to them about this. This big bald eagle swooshes down and just like straight over the vehicles and goes up over the trees and rests in, in the Mennonite Museum. I don't see bald eagles here. I came from directing a camp in Ontario and I saw bald eagles all the time. And this was one of our theme verses. We built off of it. You don't see it in Steinbeck. There's geese that load up that pond, not bald eagles. And he just literally, it was just like, he just came over. So beautiful, so powerful. Do you ever feel weary, weak, completely burnt out, exhausted? Even young people, it says clearly here, I talked to a teacher this last week talking about the amount of suicide conversations he's having these days with students. Weary, weak, challenged. I love, I've done word studies on this, so ESV would say they that wait. NLT uses the same, like they would translate it trust. So they that trust, they that wait. The NIV version of the Bible would say they that hope. So think of all those words in there. They that hope, they that wait, they that trust. Do you hope, wait, and trust in the Lord in your situations? Put them all in there. Okay, Lord, I'm, gonna just, I'm hoping in you. You've been faithful. Okay, Lord, I'm trusting. You've been faithful. Okay, Lord, I'm going to wait. I, I'm impatient. I do not like to wait. I'm going to trust in you. And he will give you the strength. So often we try to do these things on our own. We try to take control and, and make it happen. Make these things that we want to go away, go away. And there is parts where he calls us to move into action. I'm not saying just don't be in action. But often we jump way ahead of it. I'm going to, I'm going to take control. Let me encourage you to invite Jesus to be the person who guides and leads in these situations. Learn to wait on him. Spend time in his word growing an understanding of who he is. Who are you, Jesus? Reveal your character to me. God, you're, you're the creator of the ends of the earth. They say you're loving. Okay, reveal that to me through your scripture. Show it to me. Show me yourself in your word. Spend time praying. The last little while, Lord's just been encouraging me in prayer and saying, like, Vince, just talk to me. Just talk to me. When you're driving from Blumenort to Steinbeck, just talk to me. Tell me the cares on your heart. Tell me the worries that are going on in your heart. Just talk to me. I don't want to complain to him, but just talk to me. 
It's like he's been asking me. I want to have conversations with you. Pray continually. Isn't all that hard? Just talk to me, Vince. Just talk to me. I care about what's going on in your world. Trust in his leading. He has sent the Holy Spirit to encourage you and to empower you. Invite Jesus to your battlegrounds. This would be one of those Sunday mornings where, like, if we were in Africa, we would just keep going. (laughs) It's a blank uh, slide there, so I can choose where I want to (laughs) go. If you have your Bibles, you can flip back now to Job. I think Job is, like, our greatest example of struggle. And like a really easy book to read, uh, but a very real book and uh, and something that we can totally understand in life. But there's something that the Lord has really taught me in the book of Job. I would say like chapter one is the easiest for me to read and understand. And then all of his debates with his friends that goes, I don't quite understand. Some of that device sounds actually pretty good. Like what's what's so wrong with what they're saying? And I'm like, ah, it gets confusing. Not a fact and details person. So it gets confusing. But Chapter 1 is unbelievable. It starts out by saying, There was a man in the land of Oz whose name was Job. That man was blameless, upright, and who feared God and turned away from evil. It, it gives us a picture into who Job was before his life went crazy on him. And who God, how God saw him. He was blessed. He had a like, ridiculous amount of possessions. 7,000 sheep, 3,000 camels, 500 yoke of oxen, 500 female donkeys. He had servants. So that this man was the greatest of all the people of the East. This is the Job we're talking about. Super well-known, super blessed, really well-known, and had high favor with God. And then there's this part that kind of starts to get, uh, what's going on there? God has this meeting at which the devil is present at, and he says, where were you? To the enemy, to Satan. Oh, I was roaming around on the earth. This is the way I see it. Roaming around, causing a little trouble. Huh. And this is the part that can get wreck a lot of us. Have you considered my servant Job? He's blameless. He's righteous. He's upright. Have you considered him? Oh yeah, but you just have your favor on him, Lord. That's why it's all going that way. If you remove that possessions and stuff, he's going to deny you. And the Lord says, no. Only thing you can't do is touch his life. Everything's fair game from there. He's loving? He's a good God? How about this? Think of it this way. He has faith in Job. God has faith in Job. In whatever is going to happen, he's going to keep worshiping him. He's going to keep running after him. You can take his possessions. You can take his health. You can turn your, his wife against him. He's going to keep his eyes on me. Really? Think about it. God had faith in him to go through the journey so that... Others would be pointed to him. 
Get over the fact that life is hard here. It's about eternity. It's about eternity. Get the focus. Get looking through the telescope. Look to eternity. And everything in between will become strangely dim. Right? That's why Job went through this hell on earth. To point people to the greater kingdom. That was. That right there. When the Lord spoke to me on that passage, I was three months into my first cancer journey. Sick. Hard chemotherapy. Not feeling good. Monday morning comes along. Blood work morning. Vince, come in. We're going to poke you for the thousandth time. Take blood. And at the end of this, we're going to know if we're giving you more chemo in the afternoon on Thursday afternoon or not. And if not, then you have the week off to recover because you're too weak. And I said to my nurse, I'm like, oh, I hope my blood work's too low because then I'm going to Bible camp this week. And she says, no, you're not. And I was like, okay, well, then you just won't know, but I'm going to go to Bible camp (laughs) this week. See, the teens in our church, in our community, had left that morning for camp, and I hadn't missed camp in eight years. I'd been at our camp walking with these teens for eight years. For my first three months of my cancer journey, I showed up at every single youth night with an intern, but I showed up to walk out before these kids that God was still good, even though their pastor that they loved and cared for, and some of them are sitting right here in the front row, like even though I was suffering, God is still good. So... That Monday morning, sure enough, blood work comes back. It's not good enough. My nurse is like, you are not going to camp until you hear from your oncologist. I'm not giving you the permission to do that. I was like, okay, well, I'll wait on that phone call. And 3 o'clock in the afternoon, I got a phone call, and I had a dialogue about how good of a boy I had to be if I'd go to camp and all the things that I'd have to do. I had to have my own cabin. I couldn't stay with kids and all kinds of stuff. I said, okay, I just I have to go. And on the way to camp, I felt the Spirit to say, Vince, I really think this week the whole purpose of you going to camp is just to show up, but you do need to be careful there. And uh, and you need to read through the book of Job. That's what you got to do when you get there. I actually don't, yeah, I was going to say, I don't care about too many of the other things that you go and do at camp, but you got to read through the book of Job. And so night one, in my little cabin off, totally by myself, I read through this passage and the Lord just like touched my heart. I was suffering at that point. I was weak, really, really weak. And the Lord said, Vince, I've got faith in you in this journey. Do you submit it to me? Can you submit this journey to me? And at that point, it was like, okay, Lord, it's yours. Eight years later, I've just completed my fourth round of my cancer journeys, continuing to submit it to the Lord, continuing to walk daily, and truthfully, like, I know some are like, oh man, that's crazy hard. No, it's, it's an honor and a blessing to walk in the road that I have because I've met so many people. And I've been able to experience and see things that I just wouldn't know. Like, I just wouldn't know how to love people and care for people in the midst of it. Do I wish it upon anybody? Not a chance. But the Lord's still good. And, and he's taught me so much about eternal perspective. I've, I've had my life flash before my eyes numerous times. And it's like, we're seeking glory. I'm one, I actually, like, I'm at a point where, like, just come back. I just, like, I want every single person in this room and in this city to know Jesus. And I plead with them, like, don't take me before that. But, like, can you just get that to happen? 
so that you can come back so I don't have to do this anymore? You don't have to go through your suffering anymore? As we think about life as an expedition and what people will do to go on an earthly expedition, like just think about it. People will give up their lives. Back in the day, they sailed across in these pirate-type ships, you know, across the ocean. How many of those are sitting at the bottom of the ocean? But because there was an anticipated glorious land that they hadn't discovered, they went for it. Climbing mountains. I did a little bit of reading. I'm not, I'm not a big adventurer. I love fishing and like simple expeditions, but like big ones, not my thing. So I read up on uh, climbing Mount Everest to get some fact and details on it. You know, about 9,000 people have ever, like that's how many have reached the summit of Mount Everest. Many people have lost fingers and toes, like sacrificed their fingers and toes and feet just to go on that expedition. But I made it to the summit. Like, yeah, now you are fingerless. That's fantastic. <laughs> you know? 2% of people die on the way up to get to the summit. 2% die. You know what happens? Is, this is my reading and research. If you know way more in your fact and detail, you can come tell me the truth on this. But what I read is that when someone dies on the way up to the summit, the body just gets left on the side of the trail. And it's a clear reminder for people as they're going up that this could cost you your life. And, they, and, this, is, and it, this does logically make sense because they can't carry that body all the way back down. They can barely get themselves to the summit. So now what are they supposed to do? They, don't, they can't dig a hole and put that body in the ground because they won't make it to the summit if they do that. And the whole anticipated glory is to get to the summit. So these bodies apparently lay out for you to walk by on the way up. That's crazy. That is sacrificing for an expedition. Sounds a bit familiar. Now you can flip to Mark, chapter 10. I want to share this story with you about an encounter that Jesus has with a young man. So when I was in Israel, I did the tour, Walk Where Jesus Walked, and I realized just like how much of their life was a journey together. When Jesus was discipling, they walked together. They spent time together. They did life together. They did all these little things, and Jesus taught them along the way. It's not like we do here, sit in front of a bunch of people, a bunch of teaching, and then off we go, go in our own directions. They were like doing life and caring for each other. And Jesus picks a, a little bit of wheat, and then, whoa, here's a good teaching example. And then they talk about it. And now we have them as recorded as stories. But it says in Mark chapter 10, as he was setting out on, a, on his journey, a man ran up to him. So just before this, if we back up, Jesus has done a bunch of stuff to reveal that he is the Messiah. Um, this week specifically, I was gripped where Jesus heals the demon-possessed man in Mark, Mark chapter 5, and like everybody in the town was scared of this guy. He's ripping chains off because he's so demon-possessed. And Jesus comes up to the shore, and this guy runs up to the shore like, Jesus, Son of Most High, like, don't torment me anymore. Don't torment me. He acknowledges that Jesus is the Son of the Most High. This demon-possessed person is acknowledging. And so right from there, and then Jesus heals him, tells him he wants to go with him, which who wouldn't? Like, I want to be with you. You just healed me from, like, this torment. And Jesus says, no. 
Go back to your town. Point them to me. Point them to me. I'm like, poor guy. Right? But it was about the, the kingdom to come. Point them to me. Reveal to them that I am the Messiah. So Jesus has been doing this and doing other miracles, feeding thousands of people, walking on water. And then we get to chapter 10 and we read this. And as he was setting out on another journey yet, a man runs up to him, kneels before him, and asked him, so this is my prayer. Would we run up to the Father and kneel before him? When, when he is like revealed himself to us, let's run to the Father, kneel before him. Whoa, you are God. You are the creator of the ends of the earth. You are so worthy of my worship. Runs up to him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said to him, just again, little, hmm, what makes me a good teacher? Who's good but God? He's revealing, yeah, you say that, so you're recognizing that I'm God. You're recognizing that. You know the commandments, do not murder, do not commit adultery, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother. And he said to him, Teacher, all these things I've kept from my youth. And Jesus said, and this is, I shared this a couple months ago. Jesus, and Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, Pause here. Jesus knows every detail of your life. There is nothing you can hide from him. He looks at you. He knows everything. He loves you. Every detail in between. He loves you. And then he says to us, he said to him, in his love, in knowing every detail, we need to understand that. Then he said to him, said to this young man, you lack one thing. Go sell all that you have and give it to the poor and you'll have treasures in heaven where we're focused. And come follow me, follower of Jesus, come follow me, and then it says, disheartened by the saying, he went away sorrowful and had, because he had great possessions. I wanted to leave that out. To be totally honest, I want to leave that out. Dave and I were chatting about this a little bit this week. I really wonder what happened with this guy. A disheartened heart, a soft heart, a sorrowful heart, the Lord loves and honors and he continues to reveal. And so, in some ways, that's like oh, a weighty passage. And yet, I love this guy's heart behind it. And so, I, I really wonder what actually happened after that. This is, this is a challenge, though. Everyone in this room is in the category of great wealth. We all, we all sit in that place. Everyone. There's no reason that any of us were born here in Canada other than that's what God chose to put us. And it's, he knows every detail of your life. When I look at people around the world who are suffering in deep poverty, I sometimes go, God, why, like, why was I born here? Why was I born with this skin color and not that skin color? And why was I born in the family that I have and not that family? And 
start asking these questions, and it's just, he, that's, this is where he placed us. But the reality is, we are all very rich in one way or another. Let me ask you, in this situation here, he's like, go sell what you have. All the possessions that you have. Look at Job. All the possessions he had were stripped from him when he got sick. How are you using your possessions to further the kingdom? It's not actually wrong to have possessions. He's blessed you with them. But how can you use those possessions to further God's kingdom? Maybe it's mowing your neighbor's yard with that mower that you have. Maybe it's blowing their driveway open with the snowblower that you have. Maybe it's lending them your car or whatever it may be. But are your possessions held so tight that these are mine? Or are they actually, can you see them as things he's given you to further his kingdom? Your wealth and giving it back. The money that you have, the Lord has blessed you with. How do you use your money to grow God's kingdom here on earth? Whether that be sending out missionaries, are we thoughtful on like, I want to I wanna give you money so that you can go further his kingdom or tithing in church, all these things. It's not about like, I want all, we want all your money here at Calvary Church. It's how can we use the things that God has given us to grow his kingdom. And I believe, I do believe, I wouldn't be here as a staff member if I didn't see how Calvary Church was pushing and desiring to reach this community. For the sake of the gospel. So I do believe that tithing and giving to this body is important. But your hearts need to know, like, need to work towards that place where everything you have is for his kingdom and for furthering his kingdom. Whatever you have is a possession. When you submit and surrender your life to Jesus and let him lead, you will be on an amazing expedition. I remember very clearly the day where I've been following Jesus already, and I would say, like, even to the point of being faithful and leading a youth group and different things. And I remember, I can clearly remember the event. There was, okay, Jesus, like, 100%, it's all yours. Whatever that's going to mean, 100%, it's all yours. This is 18-ish years ago. I was already a follower, but it was like, okay, now I'm just laying it all out. From that moment on, my life has been amazing. Eight years of cancer struggle, different ministry struggles. Oh, you want to work full-time for Barry Krentz and provide for your little family and all that? Oh, no, you're going to go to Bible school. What? Little fact about me, I dropped out of high school, guys, because I did not like writing and reading. My first day of Bible school, they gave me a stack of books like this. I hadn't read a book in high school. Never made it through them. And I loved that journey. God provided over and over for our little family in it. But we did say 100%, no matter what, wherever you call us, we're going to go. And it's been an amazing expedition the last 18 plus years. So I'm going to close with this. As I was praying, so last night, after 6.30 in the evening, I just finished roofing my house yesterday. I came to prep. And about 9.30 in the evening, I was praying, and honestly, this, the passage about people walking away sorrowful and disheartened, I just had tears running down my face, because I want to encourage you today. I don't want you to walk away from here. I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough for this Jesus guy. And, and as I was weeping about that and looking at 
some of the scriptures that the Lord has touched my heart with. And what I do is I just like, if there's something that the Lord's been encouraging me with, I just write them on these and I put them on my pegboard. And so yesterday evening, after my little cry session, I turned my chair and I looked at my board and I started praying these scriptures that he'd been laying on my heart the last three to six months. And Second Chronicles 20 says this, for we are powerless against the great horde that is coming against us. We're powerless against all the junk going on in your life. You're powerless. I am powerless against cancer returning into my body again. Completely powerless. There's nothing I can do. There's a few little things. Reduce your stress, Vince. But there's nothing I can do other than that. It could come back. It likely will come back. But right now, my scans are clear. Again. But I'm powerless in that. Powerless against this great horde. Jehoshaphat had armies coming against him. Hordes, it said, of people coming to attack him. And he says this. This was his response. This is my encouragement to you. We don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. You don't know what to do in the craziness of your life? Look to him. Get your eyes through the telescope. Look to him. Then in verse 15, Thus says the Lord, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours. The battle is not yours. He's with you. Feels like a crazy statement. He is with you in the midst of it. And he will give you the power. They that wait, they that hope, they that trust in the Lord, he will renew your strength. You will mount up on that eagle and soar. Worship band, you can come on up. I'm just going to close our time in prayer. God, Oh, thank you that you give us the strength. Thank you, Jesus, that you care about every person in this room. I, I look back to the Isaiah passage that, like, you know, you know everything. There's nothing hidden from you. Like, you're, we can't comprehend everything about you. And that's what makes you so great. Jesus, I pray that you would strengthen weary hands today. God, that you, people inside of here are feeling weary and tired, will literally walk away today just knowing that you are good, knowing that you will give them the strength to walk through the battles that they have. Thank you for your faithfulness. I pray that you would just continue to reveal yourself to us more and more. Amen.